Well, good morning. How you doing? You know I had to throw something like that in there. Uh, uh, we watched those many weeks. Um, we have been in a sermon series entitled Once Upon a Time, Seeing Ourselves in the Parables. And hopefully, over the past few weeks, we've been able to reflect and see ourselves in these parables that Jesus has been teaching us. And today, we come to the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. Just as a little background, put it into context, this parable takes place at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. So you have the most likely the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus, and this is his conclusion. And this is where we find ourselves in the text today. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read Matthew 7, 24 through 29, and out of Uh, reverence for God's Word, would you stand with me as I read this? Hear the Word of the Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Father, today we come to a passage that most of us know, and I pray that you will help me as your mouthpiece to speak the truth of this passage into the lives in this congregation. May we all learn more of you and your kingdom today by what is said. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation, a storm, that really made you nervous? Now, I know we're in Houston, and about every, what, six years a hurricane comes through, so I'm assuming that you have, and so what I thought we'd do is a little uh, participation. I want to know, if you are one of those people that says, we're going to hunker down, we're going to stay in our house. We're going to ride this bad boy out. Raise your hand. Let me see who you are. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Hands down. It, so I'm assuming that the rest of you are those people that say, I'm going to pack up the car and spend the next 20 hours on this interstate slash parking lot with my two kids and or three gerbils that all have tiny bladders. Yes, that would be the rest of you. Tough choices, huh? There doesn't seem to be a good answer, does there? But I want to go back to that question. Have you ever been in a storm that was so intense that you just felt like, that you just prayed, God, keep us safe. Let this storm, not destroy this house. Well, I have. Jen and I were in Nashville in 2010, 
during the Nashville flood, and it didn't get a lot of media attention um, because you guys had issues going on here. We were at about day 10 of the BP um, oil pool party, and uh, so uh, that was getting a lot of media attention, and there wasn't a lot that was given to this $1.5 billion flood that invaded Nashville. Um, do we have a couple pictures? This is taken from our front neighborhood. Um, this, um, well, is actually a dry bed. We lived in a subdivision called Hidden Creek. It was called Hidden Creek because it wasn't a creek. It was a dry bed that people would walk along. They'd hike and do the trail. And yet, within the course of about 12 hours, it became about a 250-yard river that was flowing at such velocity and speed that it literally ripped the asphalt off the road and took it with the, the force of the rain. Um, uh, had terrible stories. My friend was actually on the interstate um, when the rains came, and they said within the course of about 10 minutes, it went from pools on the interstate to water on the floorboard of their car. They hopped out, and by the time they had gotten over the median and ran up the hill to higher ground, their car was completely submerged. Um, just devastating. I was on a daddy-daughter date with Emma. We were at Borders picking out a book to read and buy, and it was so loud that she couldn't even hear me reading. And it's one of those times, parents, you probably have had this happen to you. It's one of those moments where you say, I need to get home. There's something serious happening here. Um, so we cut the daddy-daughter date short, and um, to make up for it, we stopped at a CVS at the corner of Antioch and Blue Hole, and we got some M&Ms. Um, and little did we know that within about four hours, that entire cross-section would be underwater and would have claimed the first fatality of the flooding. Um, it happened that fast. We, we lived in a hilly area, and we were driving up, and it was, it was one of those things that about a 40-foot ravine this way, I mean, it wasn't a drop-off, but it was a hill, and about 50 feet up this way where other houses were, and they had their driveways cut through the hill, which created this, this forced river down these driveways to where we were driving our SUV, and the, we would hit one of those patches where a driveway was, and it would literally move our car over about a foot. And I had to drive in the middle of the road so that I could compensate for every driveway that would push our car immediately. Um, very, very scary. Um, we actually have, I'm going to show, uh, let me show this real fast. Um, we we passed this every day. Um, right to the left was a mobile home park. Hundreds of houses that had been there for about 50 years. And yet you can see that within the course of hours, it was just a train wreck. Um, all the houses were completely gone uh, because they didn't have a solid foundation. It's called a thousand-year flood. That boggles my mind. That means if the statistics pan out, something like that has hit Nashville twice since Jesus was, on, was walking this earth. I mean, that's, that's pretty huge. Um, rain can be a powerful thing, can't it? And when we look at the text today, the people that were listening on those hillsides as Jesus was unpacking this sermon would have understood that. They would have understood that, well, yeah, we need to build our houses on the limestone bedrock 
that's surrounding the city. We don't want to build in um, what's called the wadis, which would be dry beds that would be ideal, except for the fact that when rainy season comes, they instantly flood and everything would be washed away. So they understood, ah, we need to build on something solid. And they would have understood the wisdom literature of the day. They would have understood the things in the Old Testament, how so much of the wisdom, wisdom literature had action verbs that went with it. And so when they heard the floods came, the storms beat against the house, they would have naturally thought of this wisdom literature, and it would have caused them to think something possibly like, huh, winter's coming, am I prepared? Would have had that kind of effect on them possibly. It caused them to take inventory of their lives. And I got to be honest with you, there are a lot of times I um, explore passages and I'm like, wow, man, there's so many layers to this. There's so many, um, you know, so many levels of the onion to peel away and so much truth. And um, I'm sure there is in this passage, but I didn't find a lot of it in the commentaries. This is one of those times that Jesus is pretty straightforward and it is what it is. He was very clearly saying, this is the way it is. If you hear and do my words, you are like the wise man. If you do not, you are like the foolish man. There wasn't a lot of hidden meaning here. <laughs> and so, it, it's like he said, I've just unpacked the kingdom of heaven. We have the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes, we have the Lord's Prayer, we have the don't judge lest you be judged, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. You should be salt, you should be light. We have all these almost bullet point things in the sermon, and it's like Jesus is saying, I've given you the keys to the kingdom, I've given you the truth to what the kingdom of heaven is like, now what are you going to do? Now, I have to admit to you, this week has frustrated me. As a preacher of the Word, when I'm preaching, my job is first to let the text do me good and work me over because I cannot present to you something that I have not struggled with and, and worked through with God. And, well, actually, frustrated is maybe um, a poor choice of words. Um, I've hated this week um, because it has forced me to look at Scripture and forced me to talk with God and say, God, maybe I need to examine my life. Am I building on something solid? Teach me where I'm building things that may not be what you want. Teach me, am I creating something that's just going to be a mess later on when the storms come? Or am I building my life on something solid? I've hated this week. It's been really rough. Um, and, I, and I sat there at Lanier Theological Library exploring and reading and researching, and I thought, you know, you don't have to look very far to see this played out. I mean, any kind of news show that talks about celebrities, you can quickly see these people that, man, the outside looks great. They've got the money, they've got the fame, they're rich, they're jetting off to this place and that place every other weekend, 
Everyone around the world knows them. And then you hear those crazy times when it's like, that happened to them? And the media is so quick to point out the times when their lives crumble right before their eyes. And the truth is, we don't need to look to celebrities to see that, do we? Um, There have been times in my life when things have just crumbled before me because I wasn't building on the solid foundation. And I'm wondering if maybe you've done the same thing. So, So what are these bad foundations? I mean, it could be lots of things. For some of us, we're building on our jobs and the security that brings. For some, it's just a little more money. For some of us, it's our appearances, our social status. Maybe for some of us, the bad foundation is striving to do more good deeds. And yet, when we build on bad foundations, we understand the natural result, don't we? I've got a friend, Jen and I went to college with this couple. I've known him since he was six. Um, They met in college, fell in love. Um, He fell in love very quickly and over time convinced her. Um, Maybe you have a similar story. I know I do. Um, (laughs) They got married, and honestly, it looked like a fairy tale story. Great couple, good-looking fun to be with, and yet I remember when she called Jen and said, basically, our marriage is all but over. Um, He had not been having a physical affair with someone, but he had what he later admitted was very much an emotional affair. He was spending time with someone that he shouldn't have been spending time with and being more emotionally intimate than he should have been with that person, and he knew it. And just like that, what looked like a fairy tale story came crashing down. Have you been there? Do you know people like that? Maybe you've experienced it. See, I'm, I'm learning that for some people, They just can't be saved from the heartache. They are determined, I'm going to build this myself. I don't care. And sometimes pain is that necessary agent that helps dismantle what we have so poorly built. It looks beautiful on the outside, and yet it's decaying on the inside. It's picture perfect when you look at it, and yet if you get close, you see there are cracks in the foundation. They're creeping up the wall. The house is starting to shift. And before long, we're wondering, is this even going to survive? Is it going to stand up? And pain is that necessary tool sometimes that helps strip everything away, primarily our self-sufficiency, and causes us to look toward a different foundation. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts it. He said, the common temptation is, instead of really repenting, 
to talk about repenting instead of heartily believing to say, I believe without believing. Instead of truly loving to talk of love without loving, instead of coming to Christ to speak about coming to Christ and to profess to come to Christ and yet not come to Him at all. See, Jesus is saying in this passage, you cannot get around this sermon. It's coming down to this. You cannot have talking points around it, and you can't work your way out of it. This is what the kingdom is about. And we have some people that try to be like Jesus without knowing him, and we have others that try to know Jesus without being like him. And what God is saying is, You cannot separate Jesus from his ethics, and you cannot just take his ethics without him. They are of both and, and you must have both to build on this foundation. Amen? So, you know, I'm I'm sitting here, and and I'm reading it, and it's heavy, and it's heavy, and and one of the things that I always ask is, so where's the grace? Where's the grace in this passage? And the grace really is found in the fact that there are many of us that choose to build on a solid foundation, just like the person in the Holy Moly video. From the beginning, this is the wise choice. I'm going to build on something sure, something solid. And we build our lives, and when the storms come, we are safe. But the grace is also found in a sense, when the storm comes and helps to strip away everything that we thought was sure, everything that we thought was solid, everything that we were just convinced was strong enough to withstand, and it wasn't. And so, in a sense, the grace is that there is hope even in our destruction. And there's a t- there are times when we sit there and we say, Oh God, I can't take any more of this. How much longer before it all caves in? How much longer before I end up being swept down the street like that house, like that schoolhouse was? But there's hope. We don't have to. We can build on a solid foundation. But the catch is what the world says is wise isn't necessarily what God says is wise. And it doesn't take long to look through the the Sermon on the Mount and see that. Blessed are the poor in spirit? That doesn't make sense. That's not worldly wise. And yet, in the kingdom of heaven, that's true. An eye for an eye, that's wise. That makes sense. But you're telling me to turn the other cheek? Well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound like wisdom to me. And yet, With the ethics and the kingdom of heaven, it is. And and Jesus is at this point, it's like he's driving a stake in the ground and he's saying, listen up, here is the sermon and I'm telling you this because I want you to understand, I refuse to play by the world's system. Whether it be the Roman Empire that says it's all about conquering, taking over, getting what's mine, and I don't care if you get hurt in the path, or even if it's 
what many of the Jewish Pharisees were doing with it all about the law and all about being right and who's in and who's out. And Jesus says, I am not even going to play that game. There is a different kingdom. You're not even, it's like you're not even in the right sport. There is a kingdom that I am introducing that is more than. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. There is a kingdom that says, our Father, hallowed be your name. May your will be done here as it is in heaven. There is a kingdom that says, blessed are those that mourn, for they're going to find comfort. There is a kingdom that is so upside down that it could only be from God, which makes it amazing. And we want to be in this kingdom, but you cannot do it by comparing it to any other earthly kingdom because the kingdom of heaven is like no other kingdom. It is other than. And we are called to live in it. But when we're called to live in it, it's not a place. We live in Houston, which is in Texas, which is in the United States, which is in America, which is in the Northern Hemisphere, which is on the Earth, and we can find our location very easily. That's not what we're talking about when we say live inside this kingdom. What we're really saying is we have the opportunity to be this kingdom. The living is actually inside it's when our lives are changed and the Holy Spirit comes in and all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven is living within me and I become more like the kingdom of heaven. It's not a here and there. It's a here and now. The kingdom of heaven is here and it's calling us. And so what does it look like? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, according to Jesus, the simple answer is if you hear these words and practice them, everybody do the little V8 thing. Oh, I'm looking for something more significant. If you hear these words and you do them, if you practice what he is preaching, you are living in this kingdom of heaven where the focal point is not on self, but it's on God and it's on others, and it is about right relationships all the way around. So, when storms come in our lives, and they will come, we know that, right? We are not exempt from troubles and trials simply because we follow our risen Savior, Storms will come, trials will come. It's like Jesus is asking, when it happens, will you remember and will you practice and do what this Sermon on the Mount is talking about because this is the kingdom of heaven. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what storm comes against you. It doesn't matter how hard the rain falls you will be saved because you are building on something that is bigger than you are. Um, a theologian, Stanley Hauerwas, said it like this, followers of Christ and his sermon know how to survive good and bad fortunes because their lives are much more dependent upon God than the happenings of this world. 
So that leads us to ask, well, what does this look like? What does building on this rock look like? Um, We can look at celebrities, we can look at friends, we can look at marriages that are falling apart, and we can see what a bad foundation looks like. And I want to paint just a couple of pictures of what a good foundation might look like. Jen and I um, have been following for about four years a girl. Her name is Kate McRae. Aaron and Holly McRae, um, Jen actually went to prom with Aaron. Um, that has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just useless information that I know. And so if you want to talk to her afterwards and ask how he is, I guess she can tell you. But uh, Aaron and Holly, about four years ago, found out that their daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And what would happen in the world, in the world's eyes, in the world's kingdom, if they had not built on the solid foundation, this could destroy them. Could you imagine? And yet the ministry that has happened because of Kate. It's amazing. It's amazing to go to their website, prayforkate.com. has 16 million hits in the last four years. That's 11,000 people a day coming to hear words from the McRae family because it's easy to recognize they have built their lives on something solid and people are drawn to that. Um, It could also look like my college friend. I told you that their marriage ended um, and that was a little deceptive, but basically what happened was um, they were heading for a divorce He came clean and realized he'd been living a a lie. He'd been building something that was completely falling apart around them. And I remember when she called Jen and said, we're going through counseling. He is owning up to the things that he has done. He's reading his Bible more. He's treating me the way he did in college. And all of a sudden, uh, it, it's funny because the marriage they had was over. And that, not, that isn't necessarily a bad thing because the marriage they had was built very poorly. It looked good on the outside, but it was decaying on the inside. But the marriage that they have built over the past 10 years has been a beautiful thing. They love each other dearly. They love their God dearly. He is actually in ministry right now. God took the rains and the storms, and allowed the destruction to happen to bring him to a place where he could once again build on something solid, build on something that would last. And now when the storms of life come to that family, they are strong and sure-footed because they have built on something greater than themselves. Uh, It looks a lot... Like my prayer, I've got two girls that look at, they look to me and to Jen. I want them to see so much more than dad and his job. I want them to see, I love my God dearly. I love my wife dearly. I love them dearly. I want at the end of my life 
I want my legacy to go beyond my final breaths. I want my daughters to at some point in their life say, Dad has given his life over to something so significant, and I've seen through the good and the bad how he has relied on God. I need to know more about this God. And I pray it happens at an early age. But I trust that it will happen at some time because Jen and I are doing our best to build a solid foundation for our family and for our God. Socrates, a famous philosopher, once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And he's right, isn't he? I mean, the unexamined life is like the, the foolish person who quickly builds. It's faster, it's easier. Um, it goes up quickly and you feel good about yourself. That's the unexamined life. But the person who takes time to examine themselves and their God, the person who takes time to figure out what is our solid foundation, what is my sure footing, that is the life that is worth living. It makes me think of uh, Moses in Deuteronomy when he says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you might live. You can almost hear that echoing. I wonder if they would have heard that when, when they heard Jesus say, there's a wise man, there's a foolish man. Choose wisely. Uh, one person uh, I love this quote. Every thought is like a piece of timber in our house of life. Every habit like a beam. Every imagination like a window. Well or badly placed. And they all gather into some kind of unity, seemly or grotesque. Of the two builders, one is a thoughtful man who deliberately plans his house with an eye to the future, and the other is not a bad man but he's thoughtless, and he casually begins to build in the easiest way. The one is earnest. The other is content with a careless and unexamined life. So let me ask you today, where do you find yourself? Upon what are you building? Because we are all building somewhere? Are you building on the rock, which is solid and sure-footed? Are you building on something that will withstand the storms and trials of life? Are you building on something that will help you through those marital issues? Are you building on something that will help you when you get that phone call at three in the morning and your kids are in trouble? Or are you building something that will not last because it's built poorly on something that is insignificant and soft. The grace in the text is that there is room for both at the altar today. And I'm going to pray in a minute and I'm going to invite you up. If you are someone who has said, God, you are my everything. I've built my life on you. And it's been amazing to see your faithfulness through the storms of life. 
It's been amazing to see your goodness. Even when things around me were going bad, you have been my solid rock. You have been that ever-present help in time of need. You have hidden me in the cleft of the rock. I welcome you to the altar to reaffirm and restate, God, it's still yours. I'm still building on you. I'm still learning to be in this kingdom of yours. Thank you that you're helping me grow more and more like you. And at the same altar, you may need to come down because your life may be falling apart. I don't know. Maybe life's not going well. Maybe the job that you thought was going to bring you security is heading towards layoffs. The spouse that promised to love you in sickness and health for better or for worse is not doing what he or she promised. Maybe it's simply that it's been all about me, me, me. And I'm sensing that it's been, it's a weak foundation. There is a place for you today at the altar. All are invited to the altar. You, you may notice we have uh, little bowls with rocks. Um, Jamie's going to sing in just a minute, but I invite you to come down and pray. Or I invite you to come down and pick up a rock. Or do both. This rock, you know, there's nothing significant about it other than the fact that when you reach in for change and you fill it in your pocket, it's just a little reminder to do that quick check. God, am I building on you today? God, is my life focused on something more than myself? Am I building your kingdom in my life and in my world? Or as you're digging for your wallet in your purse or your sunglasses and you see that little rock there and you think, God, today I'm yours. I can't speak for my children. I can't speak for my spouse. I can't speak for what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm yours. Uh, so I invite you, as, as Jamie sings, to come up and just take this with you as a simple reminder that we have a hope built on something greater. The, the thing I loved about the Holy Moly video I love that at the end, the foolish man was transformed. Did you notice that the same rock was available to him? And he made poor choices, and the storms destroyed everything that he had tried to build himself. And yet at the end, he is building on something stronger than himself. There is room for everyone on this solid foundation. And so I invite you to come. Father, our hope is built on nothing less than your son. The blood that he shed for us, the resurrecting power, the Holy Spirit that's alive and at work and dwelling within us and spreading throughout us. Father, whether we have built on you or built on something other, may we reaffirm today today I choose to build on something greater than myself 
I choose to take not just you, but your ethics. I choose not to let myself be the center of the universe, but to put myself in my rightful place, which is building on you. You are the center of our universe, God. May we truly build on you.
covenant. His blood supports me in the whelming flood. Thanks be to God for a Savior that is strong enough to be our solid rock. We have sure footing. We have a solid foundation. We have one who is more than able. Amen? We're going to end this service differently than normal. Would you stand with me? Let me just give you a benediction. May the grace and peace of God, who is the solid foundation, give you the strength to choose wisely and build upon him and his kingdom. May he support you. May he strengthen you. May he give you peace in the times of trials. May he shelter you from the storm. And may we all, through his grace and peace, be found on solid rock. Go to love him and serve others. Amen.